It's Thursday, January 30th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Two hundred and one U.S. citizens have been evacuated from the coronavirus zone in Wuhan, China. A plane left China, stopped in Alaska, and then made its way to March Air Reserve Base in California. Passengers are screened multiple times on the way and will be quarantined for 72 hours and then monitored for about 14 days. Corbin Carson, reporter for KFI News in Los Angeles, joins us for what we know about these evacuations. Next, it could all be over this Friday. The impeachment trial in the Senate continues, and one of the biggest unknowns may have finally been settled. The big question is whether witnesses such as John Bolton could be called to testify. But after a Senate GOP lunch meeting, it seemed that the senators had the votes to block witnesses and could wrap up the trial this week. Alexander Bolton, senior writer at The Hill, joins us for more. Finally, we now know why stress turns your hair white. After experimenting with rats, scientists found that within the hair follicle, there is a reservoir of pigment-regenerating stem cells that get depleted when you're stressed out. And when that dries out, your hair turns gray. Eleanor Cummins, contributor to Popular Science, joins us for the science behind stress and gray hairs. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. All passengers had already been screened twice before they left China. They were monitored throughout the flight. In an anchorage, the passengers were screened twice more and were approved to continue on to California by the CDC. Joining us now is Corbin Carson, KFI news reporter based in Los Angeles. Thanks for joining us, Corbin. Hey, thanks for having me. So 201 Americans have been evacuated from the city of Wuhan, China. That is the center of the coronavirus right now. They made a brief stop in Alaska, but then finally arrived at March Air Reserve Base in Riverside County, which is about 60 miles east of L.A. Corbin, tell us about this evacuation, because just from my reading a couple of different reports, there's a lot of Americans that are living there in Wuhan that are trying to get out desperately right now. So about a thousand uh, Americans live in Wuhan is what we've seen so far. That's out of a population of 11 million in that city. So what we're hearing so far is the State Department ordered this group of U.S. consulate employees, their families, and I think a few private U.S. citizens out uh, maybe several days ago. And health officials say the group of passengers were screened several times throughout the flight process before landing this morning at March Air Reserve Base in Riverside County. The group of 201 people, again, is made up of those uh, employees, their families, there's some teenagers, some toddlers. The CDC says the group was screened before leaving China, screened and monitored on the plane heading to Alaska, screened again in Alaska, and they are in the process of getting screened again at the base. For the next 72 hours, the group will undergo intensive screening, which includes temperature checks every 12 hours as well as nasal swabs and blood tests that will be sent to CDC labs. Then the group will be monitored for the next 14 days until what's believed to be the end of the incubation period for the virus. Now, this hold is voluntary, and there was quite a bit of questioning on this part because obviously everyone's concerned. This thing has exploded. The disease has now affected almost 6,000 people. More than 130 people have been killed, although all those people are in China. But from what I understand, these are government workers who are happy to be back in America and are also, they want to be sure they don't have the coronavirus themselves, that their kids don't have the coronavirus, and that if they or their family did, that they don't spread that virus to anyone here in America. 
So we're told the passengers have no intention of leaving before at least the first 72 hours, and some may stay at the base the entire two weeks. But any that do decide to leave will be reported to local health officials wherever it is they're going. Their travel arrangements will be discussed for any threat to the public for the remainder of this two-week period. But if someone was like, hey, I'm leaving, they can. But doctors were like, however, they would make this decision in the middle of a military base. Then officials would have time to discuss that person's status. If there's any risk to the public, the officials would have the power to impose an individual quarantine on that person or family. But again, it does not appear at this point, at least from what I'm told, that anyone's trying to leave. Yeah. And to be clear, all these Americans that did come over, they weren't sick to begin with. They weren't being evacuated because they were sick. These were healthy individuals that just wanted to get out of the city because the city's on lockdown now. And, you know, they don't want to stay there. And I'm just looking at social media locally here. A lot of people are concerned saying, you know, how can these people be allowed to leave and everything? You're at Riverside University Health Medical Center where, uh, you know, obviously they're helping out with all this stuff. What have officials said how they're tackling this and are they ready in case somebody does pop up with it? They are obviously ready. They have the entire local, county, federal. We heard from everybody as far as how to attack this public concern. But what they wanted to remind people is these are U.S. citizens who are in this emergency zone. They were ordered back. They were supposed to go to Ontario Airport. That was the original plan. That Ontario Airport is the repatriation center for the West Coast that's set up with procedures just for this instant, people in dangerous areas flying back here, they would have been kept quarantined. The Ontario airport had brought in water and bathrooms and stuff like that for the, the quarantine process. But late last night, that was shifted over to the base for even more concern. And mainly what we're told, comfort for these 201 U.S. citizens while they undergo this intensive screening for the first 72 hours and the final health monitoring beyond that for the 14 days. But again, the concern that many people feel is warranted. This this disease is spreading rapidly. Experts I've heard are still trying to get a full idea of what this disease is. They're treating it in the same fashion as they would the MERS and SARS outbreaks where they would find anyone that's been in contact with people. They're questioning people. They're doing temperature checks and that sort of thing. So they're saying, hey, look, we are completely on top of this and they emphasize that the risk to the public remains low. And it's a tricky thing. It's a novel coronavirus. It's the new one that they've discovered. But by all accounts, it is less severe than what SARS and MERS was, although it's in the same family, you know, and they treat it the same way. And I know uh, officials are looking at making some type of vaccine and they're in development for all that stuff. But it takes time and then they still need to find out the source of it also. So there's still a lot to go through and learn. But for now, these American citizens are back. They're quarantined. They're going to go through the process. And as you mentioned, the risk is low right now. Just one great moment, I guess, you know, when they arrived in Alaska and, you know, you're touching down in the plane, they say, welcome to the United States. The reports were that everybody on the plane started cheering at that point. Oh, yeah. 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 I would imagine the same there and the same here. I mean, can you imagine being over there? And mind you, these are employees. They weren't vacationing. They don't live there. They're not doing business or private. They were on a mission of sorts for the U.S. government, for us, the American people. So now they're being called back. So, of course, they're happy to be home where they can feel that they're being treated with the best medical care that, you know, America has to offer. Corbin Carson, reporter for KFI News in Los Angeles. Thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir.
All quid pros are not the same. Some are legitimate and some are corrupt, and you don't need to be a mind reader to figure out which is which. For one thing, you can ask John Bolton. Joining us now is Alexander Bolton, senior staff writer at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Alexander. Thanks for having me. So the Senate Republicans, as the impeachment trial continues, they're answering questions right now. The House managers and the defense team for the president, they're answering questions right now. A lot of the questions are actually centering around, should there be witnesses? Do you agree with General Kelly that he agrees with John Bolton and all this stuff? But Republican senators now believe they have the votes to block witnesses. This has kind of been the biggest unknown, the biggest question about this whole process because we fully expect the president to be acquitted, but was there going to be a chance for witnesses to be called? That was the big question. And now Republican senators are feeling very confident that they can block that. Alexander, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, here are the the key points. There was a meeting um, uh, late afternoon Tuesday, um, the entire Senate Republican conference, and they discussed the question of witnesses, whether there should be witnesses. And uh, it didn't come to a resolution. And one of the big uh, concerns that the GOP senators had is that if they did vote to have witnesses, it would um, prolong the trial and it would be an open-ended process that there would be multiple votes um, forced by Democrats and Senate Democratic leader uh, Chuck Schumer to not only call John Bolton, but also the White House uh, Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, other senior officials, uh, several sets of documents. And so that was the main topic of conversation and concern on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday morning, there was a meeting uh, between uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and she was one of the key votes. And we don't know exactly what happened in that meeting, but then at a subsequent lunch meeting of the entire Republican conference, uh, the subject of witnesses didn't really come up. In fact, it was a settled issue. And uh, this is according to people who were in the room. And then when Republicans walked out of that meeting, they were expressing confidence that there aren't going to be witnesses to the trial and that they are going to vote to uh, acquit the president uh, on Friday. So that's the story now. And as you pointed out, right now there are questions being asked by senators of the uh, president's lawyers and the House impeachment managers. So it, there's a long shot chance that someone's mind could be changed. But as of this morning, heading into today's session, it's, it was clear that there are not the votes to subpoena witnesses. A lot of the senators were coming out of that meeting just ready to get it over with the Senator John Barrasso said, I'm ready to vote on final judgment. This has been fully partisan, fully political. There's been a lot of senators coming out with that. Uh, Have we heard uh, anything from Senator Mitt Romney, who was a supporter of witnesses? Well, I I asked Mitt Romney as he was coming out of the meeting to to comment, and he he declined to comment. Um, Earlier this morning, uh, he was asked about his role, and he said that he had expressed his view in the conference that there should be witnesses, that uh, especially John Bolton should testify in light of the report that his uh, manuscript uh, includes a claim that President Trump directly said that he wanted to freeze aid to Ukraine until there was an investigation announced of Joe Biden. Now, since then, uh, the National Security Council has sent a letter to uh, Bolton and his lawyer uh, warning him that if he if he goes ahead and publishes this book, it includes classified information. And so I think this even uh, makes it more difficult to call Bolton as a witness because 
it makes it clear that the White House is going to uh, assert executive privilege over any conversation between the president and Bolton. And, and furthermore, they're going to claim that it's a nationally national security sensitive, that it's classified, and that if he details those conversations, he would be violating um, national security uh, protocols. So I think that makes it even tougher for Republicans to vote to bring in witnesses like John Bolton. That letter from the White House to John Bolton's attorney, reports say that was sent just shortly before the New York Times published that article detailing what John Bolton had said in his book. So right before the big scoop came out, they were already telling them not to publish the book. The president has weighed in on that and called the book nasty and untrue. It said all classified national security. So yeah, of course they're going that way. So with this news now, this really brings us pretty close to maybe ending the entire Senate impeachment trial on Friday. Well, that's what it looks like, uh, barring um, a really unexpected turn of events. Um, even uh, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader, uh, acknowledged uh, uh, Wednesday afternoon that he probably does not have the four Republicans he needs uh, to prolong the trial and have witnesses. Now, the the two uh, there are four votes in play here. Um, Susan Collins of Maine, Mitt Romney of Utah, they pretty, they've already said they're pretty much going to be voting for witnesses. The two other swing votes, Lamar Alexander and Lisa Murkowski, they are staying quiet. But then some other potential swing votes have come out and said they are not going to vote for witnesses. I'm talking about uh, Pat Toomey, the Republican from Pennsylvania, and Cory Gardner, who faces a tough race in Colorado. He's up for re-election in the state that Hillary Clinton won. Toomey and Gardner say they're not going to vote for witnesses, so clearly the tide is turning against witnesses, um, and it's expected this trial is going to end um, late Friday. Alexander Bolton, senior staff writer at The Hill, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And so all of these strategies, all three of them, successfully turned the rats white. It definitely changed some of those follicles. But this last one with the sort of spicy pepper kind of sensation worked really, really well. Joining us now is Eleanor Cummins, science journalist and contributor to Popular Science. Thanks for joining us, Eleanor. Thanks so much for having me. Some interesting developments. We finally know why stress turns your hair white. Obviously, people have been talking about it for a long time. If you get stressed out a lot, your hairs are going to turn gray a lot faster. I myself find new gray hairs all the time, mm. and I'm always stressing <laughs> out about it. But there was a new paper put out that sheds a little more light on it. And basically, yeah, a lot of stress can induce your hair to turn gray a lot faster and basically stay that way. Eleanor, tell us a little bit more about it. So for so long, people have sort of been experiencing this in their daily lives and they're like, okay, my, my hair is going gray from my college exams or from work pressure or raising kids. But scientists were actually not convinced that that was really possible. So in this new study um, that came out last week in the journal Nature, a bunch of researchers in the United States and Brazil teamed up and they actually decided to create an experimental model and to see if they could turn rats gray just by stressing them out and then evaluate the pathway by which that actually happens. And so they were able to show that this is 100% possible and they identified the way that it can occur at a cellular level. The unfortunate part is that the animals once again need to suffer for something like this. So they put them through three different types of stressors, restraint yes. stress, chronic, unpredictable stress. I don't know what that means. Uh, Sounds terrible. Yeah, And then stress that it's induced that's caused by physical pain. And the way they did the physical pain part of this also sounds very terrible. Tell us about that. 
So what they did is they took an analog of capsaicin, which everybody knows as being the thing that makes chili peppers really spicy, and they injected that directly into the rats. <sighs> and so that caused this thing called nociception-induced stress, which is the stress that comes from physical pain or the threat of physical pain. And so all of these strategies, all three of them, successfully turned the rats white. It definitely changed some of those follicles. But this last one with the sort of spicy pepper kind of sensation worked really, really well. So in the next phase of their research, as the researchers tried to understand the physiological pathway that was changing the rat's color, they focused in on that particular stressor. They stressed all of the rest of their rats out that way. And then they sort of watched what happened, you know, on this really, really granular level. And so what did they learn from this? To my understanding, it has to do with the growth cycle of the hair. There's some stem cells within the hair that provide the color with these induced stress. Uh, you know, those uh, stem cells or whatever that is start depleting. And once, yeah. when that's, once that's gone, the hair turns gray and it never comes back. The crazy thing is that this is totally permanent. So what happens is, is that in our hair follicles, we have two different types of cells. We have differentiated melanocytes. And those are the things that actually give our skin and our hair pigment. So those are the real sort of like color agents. But those melanocytes develop out of melanocyte stem cells. And so the stem cells are sort of like the raw material, right? That like keep pumping out these cells so that we can keep having color in our hair. What they showed is that stress is able to kind of flood the system with neurotransmitters that cause the little stem cells to kind of rapidly develop and then completely deplete from the stressed follicle. So you have no stem cells left to be creating melanocytes to be creating color. So in the absence of those, your hair becomes translucent. It's not full of any pigment anymore. And once those stem cells are depleted, as far as we can tell, they do not return. So that follicle will continue to produce a white hair forever. And in the rats in this study, I mean, it was just a few days of this stress that really depleted all of the pigment there. It didn't take very long. And, you know, we always kind of think of pictures of presidents when they go in, uh, when their term starts, and then when they leave and how gray their hair looks. President Barack Obama was a prime example of that. Everybody was like, look how gray his hair turned in just a matter (laughs) of years. And so obviously very stressful job being president of the United States. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't take very long for all of this to the reservoirs to exhaust themselves. So in this case, the rats, they were able to keep their differentiated melanocytes pumping for a little while. But after five days, because their stem cells were depleted, the hair started to change color. So, you know, like in a work week, right? (laughs) These rats developed these gray hairs. So it was a really rapid process. And I think that's something that researchers still want to know more about is like, how fast can this happen? Because it might, that might not even be the minimum. This could be something that some people have argued can happen overnight. It's so interesting. I mean, you've kind of always thought, yeah, stress does make you start graying, but now they're proving it. And, uh, you know, learning more about it can lead to maybe some therapies, maybe to help slow the process. Who knows? It's not the only way that hair goes gray. So there's still a lot more to learn about it. So we have lots of questions that still remain. Stress is definitely, we've established a factor, but it also seems like genetics play a role as well as your environment, which can influence your genes and cause different mutations. There's also a lot of evidence that certain cancer drugs can cause your hair to turn white. So there's a chemical factor. There's a lot more that we still need to understand about why this really common phenomenon happens. Eleanor Cummins, science journalist and contributor to Popular Science. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much.
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>